Welcome to Mindset Medicine with Dr. Julia Bolin, physician, author, and founder of Personal Awareness Medicine. Mindset Medicine is a program that gives you personal and professional strategies to empower you to think more clearly, feel more vivacious, and act with intent. Dr. Julia's expert guests share tips and techniques to inspire you to be healthier, wealthier, and wiser. Hello, and welcome to the Mindset Medicine Podcast, episode number 14. I'm your host, Dr. Julia Bolin, and this episode is all about time challenges. It's an unquestioned truth of modern life. We are just starved for time. We tell ourselves we'd like to get up more, read more, get to the gym regularly, try new hobbies, and accomplish all kinds of goals. But then we give up because there's just not enough hours in the day to do it all. Or we make excuses. We make sacrifices. Taking the time out of other things in order to make something else fit in. People, there's got to be a better way. So my life used to be a never-ending battle against the clock. One I always lost. Every morning, afternoon, and evening, I'd look up and find that clock face glaring right back out at me and sink my head in defeat. Where does my time go? I'm always behind. My patients often wait an hour or more to see me. And I'm the one who values promptness and being on time as one of my necessary and important priorities. The pressure of time pervades our lives in every level, but it seems like it should have a clear purpose. It does get us to work on time. It can motivate us to break personal records at the gym. But feeling that time pressure can occupy your brain's limited executive resources, impairing your performance And well, and everything from my patient caretaking to maybe your driving your car to your creative thinking. What is the right approach? Well, in this episode, number 14 on time challenge success tips, we're going to break into that. So let me ask you this. Are you a perfectionist? Do you hold yourself up to high standards for everything you do? Because if you do, you're not alone. Most gifted people really do strive for perfection. But what if that inflexible standard that you have is actually slowing you down and holding you back? There is evidence that constant perfectionism actually gets in the way of a happy and productive life. And it's connected, get this, to procrastination, low productivity, and depression. So all this heavy push towards perfectionism is really coming back at you and connected to procrastination, low productivity, and depression. What? We so oftentimes link productivity to our self-esteem and unfortunately our self-worth. And more often than not, that continual high standard really isn't leading you to a successful life. Let's think about it. People like Einstein, Oprah, Donald Trump, Walt Disney, Bill Gates. These famously accomplished people reported they owe their achievements to their unstoppable nature and their willingness to screw up, not to their perfectionism. So the trick is really to recognize when high standards are necessary 
and when they really actually get in the way of you being innovative, efficient, and fulfilled. And getting to a place of, duh, some tasks are just good enough, and projects that allow us to get done without compromising quality, and otherwise not being perfect, but well, done is better than not done, right? And done is better than perfect. And getting to a place of that good enough on most tasks is okay. And that certain projects can allow us to get more done without compromising quality. Well, this is an open-minded approach that really does allow for creativity, innovation, and fun in your everyday. Freedom from perfection starts with being flexible, compassionate, and faithful to yourself. Hmm. Remember, you are good enough as you are. You are intrinsically valuable. God didn't create junk. The next time you notice that you're driving yourself really hard or procrastinating on projects or tasks or feeling really deeply self-critical about what you have accomplished and what you haven't, just ask yourself this. Am I holding myself to standards that aren't needed in this circumstance? Hmm. What would good enough look and feel like instead of perfect? So breathe. Open up your heart and your mind and think flexibility. Think flexibility with the project or the task and just let yourself relax. Try the, is it just good enough for just a day? doesn't have to be perfect. And you can reserve your high standards for rare and important circumstances. You'll not only get more done, but you'll also feel more motivated to do something. Next, I'd like you to get more done by giving yourself a break. What do I mean by that? When people have a big project or a perpetual large amount of work to do, which I seem to always do, we often find ourselves locked in in that activity all day long. In other words, our perception is, I got to get it all done at once in one day. But there is another way that's been found to be more productive and easier. And that is to work intensely for short periods of time and then take a break before knocking out another intense burst of energy. In other words, crank it out, take a break, crank it out, take a break. The idea is twofold. One, work expands into whatever time you give it. You give yourself a time, you are going to fill that time up. Limiting time for focus session is really a way of setting a boundary for the task or a project that increases efficiency. Secondly, there is this law called diminishing returns, and it states that in a production process, as one input variable increases, in this case time, there will be a point where output decreases. In other words, the harder you push yourself, the less the output. Hmm. We have all experienced how pushing relentlessly forward on something can tap us out into exhaustion. I know I have for sure. And if you're working on something critical or complex without a break, your results are going to be bad and you're going to be negatively affected. So instead, try this. Let's stop one, eliminate distractions. You know this. Come on. Turn off your phone, close the door, clear your workspace, make it zen, get all your other projects aside, have a beautiful spot where you can just work on your computer. And by the way, 
close all unnecessary applications and turn all texts and notifications off. Folks, I know we are just addicted to that dopamine rush of seeing a text come in or an email and, and, oh, we can get this done, we can get this done, and we can get this done. But what you're doing is you are distracted and you can't Ohio. The acronym Ohio stands for only handle it once. I'm going to say that again. The acronym Ohio stands for only handle it once. If something comes in front of you, focus on it. But if your phone dings and your computer is notifying you and you're looking away, it takes seconds and long moments to really refocus back on what you're doing. So eliminate distractions. Next, set a timer for 60 to 90 minutes. 90 minutes is my sweet spot. Yours might be 30 minutes, 60 minutes, but try 60 to 90 minutes because then you can focus in and work uninterrupted. That's the sweet spot until that timer goes off. And then without fail, take a break. Take 10 to 20 minutes to break and refuel and refresh and resource. Give yourself that because when you do, it really makes the biggest impact in your efficiency. And during your break, do something that's so totally different than what you were doing before. Get into your body. I turn on music and I do a dance party. If people look through my window, they would probably think I am nuts. But I put on I Feel Better When I'm Dancing by Megan Trainer, and I shake my booty. So put that into your visual. All right. So you can stretch. You can dance. You can get a healthy snack. You can get some tea. <sighs> Go outside. I love to sit outside on the rock and look at the creek below. Look at nature. Be present. Enjoy sights, sounds, and smells. Close your eyes and listen to the music of the birds or put music in your ears. And if you can, take a power nap. I love my brainwave app where I can do 10, 20, 30 minutes of brainwaves that are binaural and I can put on a meditation that I don't go to sleep. It'll bring me down, bring me back up and I wake up totally refreshed. It truly is the magic of learning what different wavelengths to keep you from actually falling asleep, but it works like a dream for me. So that's a brainwave app. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. And now we already talked about resting. But set a timer again for your next session, another 60 to 90 minutes and focus in. All distractions are gone. Just focus in until that timer goes off. You will see how much more you get accomplished without feeling ultimately drained. Next success tip. Reward yourself for accomplishments. I know it sounds cheesy, but folks, we should be celebrating every little success. That brings gratitude. It brings joy. It brings us into an emotional state that boosts the dopamine. I'm all about boosting dopamine without using drugs and alcohol. So let's do it with celebrations. Let's get into that gratitude. Most of us don't get enough acknowledgement for what we do. We praise our kids. We notice small victories of other people and we like to celebrate for other people. Or maybe we wait until something really big like graduating from uh, med school for me, right? Before we celebrate. We think it has to be huge, but as adults, we rarely stop to notice and celebrate even the most significant feats like this. When I finished my first podcast, 
I got to tell you, it wasn't the best podcast, nor is the first six of them. You know, I judged myself, but I had to accept less than perfect, as we talked about before. Normally, what happens is we ignore those small feats and we just kind of move on to the next thing. Accomplishment is its own reward, but only if it gets noticed. And achievements that go unnoticed eventually become drudgery. So after you just cross something off your list, even if it seems small, pause and acknowledge yourself for getting it done. Feel the joy. Give yourself a literal pat on the back and say, well done. Or hug yourself. Okay? Do a little victory dance. Shake your booty. Share your win with somebody else. It might seem silly, but it's really motivating. And if you're giving yourself praise and acknowledgement, you need it less from others. There'll be a whole lot less attention getting behavior. And at the same time, you'll be more of a cheerleader for your friends, family, and colleagues. So do you reward your big wins? Really, truly. Studies show that achievement-based rewards do increase your motivation and your results. So why not do it for yourself? What you do for others and what companies know help to motivate their employees. So what's your next big goal? What would motivate you to make progress on and complete that goal? Make a reward. What are you going to do to celebrate it? Make it fit for the situation. What do I mean by that? For example, reward yourself with a new outfit for losing weight. Or if you've got a financial goal for your job or your business, reward yourself with a special vacation. (laughs) Me, I would be in the sand at St. John's overlooking a bay. Let a few people know what you're doing so you have witnesses to your success. And if you don't make your goal, celebrate the efforts that you did to get there. Because folks, sometimes success isn't necessarily about the end result, but of what we learned in the process about ourselves. Boy, did I learn a lot trying to get this podcast up and running. Next success tip, do less to achieve more. You can accomplish more in less time by focusing on certain things. And we're going to talk about that. Are you rushing through life from your morning until your bed? Are you doing lists? And are those lists just get longer as the day goes on? And does scheduling with your friends and family take a lot of negotiation and sifting through days and maybe even months before you can get there? I know I was totally embarrassed when my daughter wanted me to come to Columbus, which by the way, is only two hours away. But we had to schedule all the way to July. That was like three months from then. It's time to start renegotiating the priorities and the times in my calendar, no doubt. These are all just symptoms of our being overly committed. And folks, this is the classic epidemic of our time right now. But what can we do about it? This is the question. What can we do about it? One, we can choose to do less. We can focus in on activities that really bring quality of life instead of trying to get a fulfillment by checking boxes off in your calendar. And to a large degree, the more we do less, the more we can stay fully conscious and receive the joys and the gifts of the moment. We can feel the presence. We can listen to the birds and the creek. 
And the cumulative stress of pushing ourselves, well, we all know it comes out of that. Gastritis, headaches, sleepless nights, abdominal pain, achy body from sitting too long. And of course, sometimes I know circumstances are beyond our control and we can become overly committed in a lot of dire situations, one after another after another, that feels like we have fires to put out incessantly. Someone needs to take extra care or a second job is required. Sometimes this does happen. And some careers come with a fast track lifestyle. Careers that, well, let's face it, we chose, including my choice to go through 12 years of medical challenges and becoming a doctor and then becoming a coach and then becoming a professional speaker. I'm not one to really say I didn't do that because I certainly pushed myself. And I, well, I will honestly say I thrive with time pressure. That's why I'm talking about these things. But I also suffered from being a slave to time. And I hope that you don't have to go through that as well. If If we're honest with ourselves, most of the time we just overcommit because we're in the habit of it and we don't know how to say no or to set appropriate limits for ourselves. It usually stems from a craving of approval or recognition, wanting to feel significant and know that we're contributing to other people, contributing. If we're honest with ourselves, most of the time we overcommit because we're in the habit and we don't know how to say no or set limits for ourselves. Folks, these are just boundary, you know, and I'll do eventually do a a podcast on setting boundaries, but it usually stems from creating approval or needing recognition. We're going to worry that we might miss out on something or we think it's our duty. If we are making choices based on that, I often tell my my clients, if if you're making a decision that's kind of not a healthy boundary, uh, I use the acronym FOG. Are you committing to something out of fear? Are you committing to something out of obligation? Or are you committing to something out of guilt? Hmm. Fear, obligation, and guilt. If we're doing things based on those, then that boundary is probably not a healthy one. Shifting the overcommitment habit really begins with discovering what you really want, what's important to you, and what are your core values systematically cutting back on non-essential commitments and really building on the courage to say no. Some of the courage to say no if saying yes doesn't clearly fit your values and your goals. If you're a parent, this will also be a really important teaching opportunity for your kids. At first, it might feel a little ruthless, but let friends, family, and colleagues in on your choice and your plan to create a better quality of life because who knows, you might start a positive epidemic in your circles. Next, turn your desk into a garden for creativity for bloom. So Sarah, she sits at her desk looking around wondering what she can move, stack, shuffle to make room for all the files for her newest project that her boss just handed her. She already has so much to do, so many pending projects. How in the heck is she going to handle one more? Her fur desk is any indication of her success. It looks like certain doom. And I will honestly say, my workplace, there are definitely people and employees and providers whose desks are a walking nightmare. If I even get near them, I start getting the heebie-jeebies with overwhelm. 
So how is your workspace? What does it look like? Is it a garden ready to sprout creativity and innovation? Or does it look like a war zone? If you saw my desk, I should take pictures and include it in this. In fact, I will. I'll use that as the image for this episode. It's clear. It's lovely. It's got one orchid and some stones on it, but it's empty. And I sit down in the morning and I journal in this place of Zen. Piles of papers, stacks of boxes, files everywhere are noise in your brain that overloads your senses. It creates stress. It impairs your ability to focus. In a study at Princeton University, neuroscientists found that people working in an organized environment perform tasks more quickly and accurately than people in a disorganized environment. No surprises there, folks. With that said, each individual has a different tolerance for clutter. I do not have a tolerance for clutter, but I do like a homey feeling with with important objects in control. Now, whatever your work style, these simple solutions will help you work smarter. One, choose a place where each tool, supply, or a piece of equipment lives. Put things back when you're done with them. In other words, a place for everything and everything in its place. Two, become a smart sorter. Create folders and inboxes labeled to do, to read, to file. As documents come in, separate them, putting urgent things in the top. For ongoing projects, keep color-coded. Use a similar approach with emails and never use your inbox as your to-do list. Basically, be a smarter sorter. I also like the, the idea of a file, don't pile. So if you don't have a file place or a place for everything, then everything will never be in its place. So take some time. I literally spent an entire year with the belief that I was going to create systems and processes to remove clutter. And oh my goodness, it was so worth it because I was never taught file systems. I was, heck folks, I didn't even know how to do a three ring binder and that's embarrassing to stay, but it was just not something that I was ever taught as an executive skill. I had to work really hard on creating a clear desk at work with appropriate folders and files. And I will admit that not everybody in my family has decided to take on that new skill and that can be really overwhelming for them. Next, establish limits. Clutter happens when you have no conscious limitations on how you utilize your space. So if a file drawer or a shelf gets full, it's time to reduce it rather than pile things on it. Four, as much as possible, choose a paperless approach. Create keyworded folders on your your phone, in A note, in Evernote. I love my new Remarkable tablet. It is a handwritten tablet. I'll put that in the show notes too, where I like to write down my notes. Now they're organized. I know I can go in and I can find my notes. What a time saver. Uh, what a showstopper for me. And next, clear your workspace and your computer desktop every single day at the end of the day. Leave only what you'll need for tomorrow's tasks, period. You can do it. Clear the clutter, put things away. And if you need to remember something, don't remember in your brain or on a piece of paper, put it in your calendar for the next day on the to-dos. And then you know, boom, 
you can empty your brain because you already have a system and a process that will get it going again the next day. Too many of us leave our workspaces cluttered and chaotic, dismissing it as saying, eh, it helps me. It helps to remind me what I need to do. But the reality is it doesn't. So do a little gardening on your desk today. Make room for some great ideas and clear brain function. Next time success tip. The one-touch approach to paper and email. Does your incoming mail pile up and then get lost? Is your email inbox a mile deep? I mean like thousands deep. For most of us, the tendency is just just to postpone the action and then really focus on the urgent things. But by letting those little things stack up, it means you might miss payment dates, important documents, connections with people that you care about. Then all of a sudden you decide to go back and you're digging through it all just to find that one thing that was really important and you wasted hours trying to find something and you suddenly realize, oh my God, I miss Uncle Bob's birthday party. How did I miss that email? Here's the hard truth. If you don't find a new strategy, it's going to get worse. Try the one touch approach. As simple as this, aim to only touch all incoming mail and email once. Take whatever action you can right away. Set the 60 to 90 minute time slot and crank it out. So let's start with the snail mail. Get it out of your mailbox and immediately deal with it. Don't stack it, pile it. If you're going to get it, then it's time to address it. Throw away and recycle the junk mail. You know you don't want that crap piling up. Open every envelope. I like my little electronic letter opener so you don't cut yourself, so it doesn't have that sticky feel of the paper that I can't stand. Pull out all the contents and recycle the envelope. Next, sort bills into piles. Then either pay them immediately or set it in a file that you know at least twice a month you're going to sit down and pay bills and put it in your calendar. It's not the I'll get to it on. No, put it in your calendar. What does that do? It takes it out of your brain and into a system so you don't have it running in the background. If your cash flow allows it, shift bills to pay by credit card or auto withdrawal. Folks, do the automatic payment if you can. Take that out of your brain and out of your worry and keep the paper things from coming into your mailbox. Scan and file statements that you want to keep. Pay your bills then. And as much as possible, again, shift electronic delivered statements into an inbox if you can and set a time in your calendar that you know you will only focus on those bills. Next, sort journals, catalogs, and magazines in a pile and then put them where you know you're going to read them. And if you think you want to read them, you need to schedule that time in there too. Because how many of us go, oh, I think I'll sit down and read all my catalogs and magazines. I know I don't. And then they pile up and the next thing I know, there I am piling up. So if they're important and you get the catalogs you want, read them. If you get catalogs you don't want, call the company, stop the mailers. And lastly, read all your personal letters right away. 
The process is similar for your email. And if you have a big cache built up, you're going to need several settings to, to clear this crap out. It's a great time to do it while you're on the airplane, which I do, or waiting for an appointment. When I'm on the airplane, before we take off, I make sure that I download and update all my email inboxes. Then I'm literally sitting in the plane while, before we take off and just delete, delete, delete. Now, these aren't the ones you're hoping to respond to because remember, you're on airplane mode. But man, you can delete the crap out of your inbox when you're doing these kinds of things. For each email, take one of these actions. One, delete or unsubscribe and junk it. Two, read it and reply. Or three, read and archive. The trick to effectively archiving is to create appropriate folders and tags in your email program that are smartly titled so you can easily locate them when you want them, such as do this week, family and friends, health, finances. And you can that way use your search function to find your archived emails. You can do this. Be patient, be persistent. Once you've had a clean slate, oh my gosh, keep it that way. You now have a fully functioning system to handle all that crazy stuff. Next, plan tomorrow today. Are you clear what your highest payoff activities are for tomorrow? If so, you've set yourself up for a satisfying day of productivity managing your time. This daily habit makes for gratifying weeks and months. Most of us like to work off a to-do list, but skip the planning phase that maximizes the usefulness of the list. <sighs> Stop making lists. Start planning priorities. I'm going to say that again. Stop making lists. Start planning priorities. The problem is, is that looking at a long list at the beginning of each day overwhelms your brain, making it more difficult to filter the important information like your working memory and focus. If you haven't already done it, take these three steps first. You can get all this stuff down on paper, but then prioritize your goals, tasks, and projects into the ABCs. A, important and urgent. You know, these are the crisis zone, the immediate deadlines. B, important but not urgent. Exercising, family time, self-care, studying, planning, etc. And C, urgent but not important. Phone calls, texts, emails, favors that you got to give back, etc. Next, break complex or big projects into bite-sized steps. Okay? Simple. Within each of the ABC categories, then prioritize each of these tasks so you know what's coming first, next, and then next. Prioritizing is really important because it's easy for that email to suck you in and that social media to bring you around another different direction. So now here's the kicker. At the end of each day, pick five specific tasks from your thoroughly prioritized list that you're going to complete tomorrow. This way you know what's on your plate and you can plan your schedule accordingly. Me, I pick three. I have the daily top three. I use the full focus system. I will include that in the notes. I love the full focus system. It has changed my life. With your next day, I want you planned. You won't worry that you've forgotten something because you've already planned out your top priorities. 
Obviously, the important and the urgent A's should come first. After that, once those are cleared, you can work on your high payoff activities. You know, things that help you leap forward on your important goals and foster well-being, your health. Plan to accomplish the complex, urgent, and important tasks during the prime time, the time of day that you know that you can focus. Don't get mad at me, but for me, this is 5 o'clock in the morning to 6.30. I am a crazy busy bee. My brain is on high alert, very focused. I'm not distracted. There's nobody else yanking my chain and pulling me in different directions. I haven't gotten into social media or on the computer yet. I am a busy bee at that time. You need to find the time that's your prime time and fit the more mundane and routine tasks into your non-prime times. For me, that's about five o'clock to eight o'clock. I'm a, well, I'm kind of wimpy. Let's just put it that way. When your tomorrow arrives, you'll be ready to jump in. And as you get into the rhythms of this daily planning, and in my case, the full focus system, you're going to have a lot fewer A's on your list, and you're going to be able to start working on your long-term projects. Your list will shrink and things will flow. Life is good in that sphere. Next, how do you optimize your brain? Well, do you ever feel like your brain hurts after a day of multitasking? I literally say my brain hurts. If so, it's not surprising. Multitasking seems like the right thing to do. After all, it seems like we can get so much more done in a short period of time. But as I said before, you can't Ohio. You can't only handle it once. Studies show that quickly switching from one task to another can actually compromise your performance, your accuracy, and ready for this, your working memory. It leaves you stressed, which over the long term diminishes your health and happiness. It has to do with how much each task requires of our prefrontal cortex. That's that part of our brain that accesses and assigns mental resources. Simple routine tasks like walking and talking, eating, reading a novel, exercising, listening to music. These require very little of our prefrontal cortex. Multitasking works in those cases because the combination of activities use different parts of the brain at the same time would actually improves brain function. Now, conversely, important and urgent mental tasks, they require a lot from our prefrontal cortex. And for those simple circumstances, it's best to single task. When you apply pinpointed focus to one project or action, the results are satisfying and it's good for your brain. And guess what? You get to celebrate. Yay! Similarly, if if tasks are complex, Single tasking still works best. That's why driving and talking on the phone or texting really is dangerous. The combination of those activities impairs the brain the same way that alcohol does. Whoa. So why do we love to multitask? Well, it's exciting. It's literally addictive because it causes that dopamine to be released into the bloodstream. But over time, That pattern is physically and mentally exhausting. Surprisingly, studies show that low multitaskers actually outperform people who multitask. Hmm. Low multitaskers, meaning people who do less multitasking, actually outperform people who multitask. So if you want to use time wisely, get more done. Start by optimizing your brain power.
focus in, finish up, then move on to the next task. You'll have energy left over for the fun things in your life. Give it a try. How can you get more done by doing less today? Next, let's get some boundaries going. Here's an example. Richard loves to feel needed. As a kid growing up and even in college, he felt drawn to helping professional people and he found his deepest passion in his career in nursing. When he had great fulfillment in his job, he felt awesome. He was helping out the community center on weekends. He was working with his aging parents, doing things they can't do for themselves. He recently noticed he was starting to feel some resentment because people were always calling him, needing something. They'd stop by his house unannounced. They'd ask for favors and he would give up all his free time doing things for them, leaving no time for himself. If this sounds anything like you, it might be time for you and Richard to start set stronger boundaries to help reclaim your time and self-esteem. But before we call in the reinforcements, let's first look at how you got to this point. Is it that you enjoy pleasing others, even if it takes precedence over what you need and want? Over time, did an expectation grow that you would always say yes to these people? And now that you've become a, well, a really reliable person of support, what can you do now? After everyone relies on you and needs you, right? Well, first, start with being compassionate for yourself and others. It's a very common problem. It's common in relationships and you can shift it. You need to decide the qualities that you like in your relationships. In healthy adult relationships, each person takes responsibility for themselves. They have several resources to get their needs done. I don't rely on my husband for everything. People ask each other for help and ask others for help. They can say no without fear of punishment. And they can say yes only when yes is meant and comes without resentment. You can give yourself a buffer. If someone asks you a favor, don't say yes or no right now. Tell them, you know, I'll get back with you on that. That's something that I really had to learn to do. I went through a phase where I started protecting myself and then I started saying no to everything, including the simple things like my kids would come up and say, mom, I need a dental appointment. I'm like, no. And then, oh, wait, wait a minute. It's because I had so much in my life that saying no seemed to be like a way of opening myself up. So don't say no right away. Give yourself some time to ponder it and then discover what's important to you. How do you want to grow and use your full potential? Keep the most important things in your mind as a filter for when and how you say yes or no to other people. What's important to you? Set limits on when and how you're going to serve other people. Practice saying no or not now. Notice how it feels to set boundaries and take responsibility for yourself. Remember I said the acronym FOG. If you're answering or doing something for other people out of fear, obligation, or guilt, really think about it. And then the next thing too is that if you are saying no, make sure that feels, that feels kind of good in your heart as well. Sometimes I really like to say, I really, really like to do that, but I can't. I wish I could but I can't. These are true statements. There are times I really wish I could do more than one thing at once, but let's face it. 
Sometimes I can't. I promised myself I was going to go for a run between five and six. I am not going to stay late at work and have that meeting. I wish I could, but I can't. I have a prior priority. Setting limits on yourself and how you serve other people and practicing no and not now makes you feel stronger about setting boundaries and it's taking responsibility for yourself. Give others a chance though. Saying no gives them an opportunity to set something else up. If you say, ah, no, I don't know yet. I'll let you know tomorrow. That might put them in a time crunch. So it might be easier on other people if you say no up front so they can get other people to help. And next, asking other people for support. Asking people to respect your boundaries and when they can call you and when they can come by. What constitutes an emergency for them, right? If people are used to just whizzing in and out of your house, whizzing in and around your desk, always stopping by to ask for something at work because you haven't sent a clear boundary, that's on you folks. I know many people at my work say they can't get away from everybody. They need to set the standard that They can't come up and just immediately start talking to you when you're working. Make your relationships equitable and ask for emotional support and help on your projects. These are other steps that you can do to help. Setting physical boundaries can really help as well, like shut your door or put do not disturb or put earplugs in so they can say, you can point to them if somebody comes up and say, nope, this is my focus zone. These are cues to help other people know that you're in your personal space, you're being focused, and they need to back away if it's not a fire that's happening in the house. Uh, I do that all the time at work. I insist that people come up behind me. They can kind of slowly come in in my peripheral vision, but if I'm working on a prescription, I'm talking on the phone, I'm wrapping up the notes from a patient visit, they are not to bother me until I complete my thought and turn and spin to look at them. Setting and maintaining boundaries does get easier with time and practice and you can still serve other people who need you and appreciate your support but taking care of yourself is the most important of all so what can you do right now to fortify your boundaries lastly the benefits of a simple routine we know that positive daily routines provide children with an opportunity for learning and engendering a sense of security and self-discipline Guess what? Busy adults need routines for all the same reasons. The repetition of a well-designed routine really results in mastery. It reduces fatigue while giving you a sense of control. You know how long things take and staying grounded under pressure. Routines help you exist in harmony with others. So when you know how long something takes, again, It helps create harmony for you and for those around you. A positive routine feels empowering and it can help you build momentum in your day. It brings you closer to what's most important to you. Whereas a negative routine, such as watching hours of TV, staying up late, hitting the alarm over and over again, can leave you empty and drained. Some people steer clear of routines because they seem boring. If this is you, Allow for variety and spontaneity within that routine to keep routines from being stagnant. For example, spice up your wake up time, set your alarm for 15 minutes earlier and use that time to slowly wake up. Better yet, get one of those lights that slowly turn on or your alarm that slowly increases in time. Then find some time to meditate in that extra 15 minutes. Visualize your day into the positives. 
instead of going down the what if negatives of all the things that could go wrong that day, set yourself up with a beautiful visualization of how you want your ideal day to go. Take a bath instead of a shower. Shake it up a little bit. So what's the best way to set up a positive routine? Well, cue into certain times of day that work for you and then set specific goals or events that you want to happen at the same time. How about a simple but satisfying morning and evening ritual? I have very strict rituals in the morning that I say strict, but I there's a lot of flexibility. But I wake up, I take care of my cat, I brush my teeth, I wash my face, I put my gym clothes on, and then I set up my cell regulation mat and I lay down on it and I meditate for 20 minutes. And I really do the six-phase meditation by Mind Valley. I'll put that in the show notes because it sets me up for visualization. It connects me with the universe. It eliminates my negative charges that have been in my life for the last week. It sets me up in gratitude boosting that dopamine. It helps me visualize what I want three years from now, one year from now, and in my day. That, folks, is a way to start your day. And I love it. It enables me to take on the day. It helps me renew and upgrade my morning and evening routine every day. Routines are a powerful way to regain a sense of control, discipline, and order to your day. Try it for yourself and you see. Next, find an accountability partner. Here's an example. It was Monday and Lucia had two weeks and five pounds to go before her 20th high school reunion where she'd been working really hard to fit into this gorgeous red gown she purchased months before. Her friend Linda had walked with her every step of the way and together they lost more than 20 pounds each. But on that morning, Lucia was getting ready for work. She received a dreaded call. Something terrible happened to her dad and he was in the hospital more than 2,000 miles away. Her mom didn't have the details at the time, only that her dad needed prayers and loving thoughts. In the past, Lucia's immediate reaction would have been to find something to eat, and a lot of it, to soothe her emotions. And these past months, she's done so well with her eating plan and her exercise, but today was different. This was different. Her dad was ill, maybe even dying. She needed something to eat. But thank goodness Lucia picked up the phone and called Linda before she picked up the food to soothe her wounded soul. Some people are good. Some people set and work their plans all by themselves. But most of us need help to consistently get the big things done in life. One highly effective kind of help is to have that accountability partner like Linda was to Lucia. Acting as her accountability partner, Linda was not only able to provide her comfort and support, but also kept her from veering off the track and undoing all of her hard work. So what does an accountability partner do? Basically, you and another person share goals and plan tasks for a specific time period, and then you report back to each other. I have two accountability partners that I've had on a Thursday and a Sunday, and I've had this for 10 years. It is amazing because I know if I'm going to be meeting with Linda or I'm going to be meeting with Karen or I'm going to actually have three or I'm going to be meeting with Christina. I know that there's certain things that I promise them that I better get done. So it does keep me on track. An accountability partner can be a a friend, a colleague, a family member, 
it's ideal really to find somebody who matches your motivation level and who will really take this process seriously. A good bet is to pick someone who has a common goal. It can also work well with a partner with something totally outside of your normal field of focus that has the same equally challenging task, or they have an end result that's as challenging as yours, but not necessarily the same thing. That's what my accountability partners are. So how does it work? You start with initial meeting. You decide how you're going to share your goals and report your accomplishments, when and how you're going to communicate. Will you meet in person, by phone, text chat, or by email? How often you will meet, what time and day will each accountability cycle begin and end? How will you support each other and hold each other accountable? These are questions you really want to ask each other. Fortunately, Lucia's dad's condition was not serious at all. He returned home and he began his health regimen too, with Lucia's mom at his side. And her high school reunion? She fit into her gown and turned every head at the event. And she's reunited with her high school crush. How awesome is that? Is it time for you to have an accountability partner? Pick a goal that you would otherwise may not be able to complete on your own and find someone to take the journey with you to help you cross the finish line. Thank you so much for listening to the Time Challenge Success Tips, episode number 14 of Mindset Medicine. I hope these tools and tips help you streamline and help you get a better grasp about what your relationship with time is and the time challenges that you have. Please feel free to check the show notes and look for the link for the Time Challenge Homework, how you can identify a typical week that you spend time with, where your priorities are, and really break down the time wasters and the things that you want to focus on. So that's free. It's a complimentary download. Uh, Head on over there. And until next episode, may you be happy, be healthy, and be fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Mindset Medicine with your host, Dr. Julia Bolin. To learn more about Mindset Medicine, go to www.juliabolinmd.com and connect with Dr. Julia to find out how our team can help you today. Join us again next week for more expert tips, tools, and strategies to become healthier, wealthier, and wiser in your personal and professional life.